Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and you're listening to the 10 Adventures podcast. We are more than just a travel company. We are a community of active explorers who have been inspired by the outdoors. Join me as I sit down with real people to talk about their most epic adventures on this incredible planet. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today we're talking to Daniel Troya, a filmmaker who rode his bike across America to better understand the makeup of the country today, releasing a film called We Are All In This Together. What makes this film unique is that Daniel did this ride with no money, no food, and relied on the kindness of others, which is something I haven't heard of before. Uh, I'm super excited to learn more about this project. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Super happy to be here. So uh, first question, you rode across America, no food, no money. It sounds like a crazy thing to envision. Uh, why did you want to do this, uh, do this ride? Yeah, well, um, so I was, somebody gave me a book a couple of years ago called The Kindness of Strangers, which was about a man who hitchhiked across America in the mid nineties with no food or money. And he wrote about, about all of the experiences. And uh, I read the book and I felt super inspired and I thought, man, it'd be amazing to, to kind of recreate this, but do it on a bike. And so I thought, I'd look, okay, that sounds great, but I thought um, I'd love to make a movie about it. And I was thinking, well, how could I record a movie? Um, and I thought, what if I were to wear, wear camera glasses, then I could interact, um, you know, I could film the interactions as they were happening, like raw and candidly with people. And so, uh, yeah, I came up with the idea of wearing camera glasses while I was talking to people who helped me along the way. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like the idea behind the film. And I mean, I've been feeling all the division in the country too, in the United States. And um, I thought it'd, it'd be nice to kind of go out and try to connect with people and have a better understanding of the human connection, like during all this divisiveness that's happening in the country. When you say camera glasses, I'm thinking back to these like Google glasses they created. Is that is that is that kind of what they are, or they're like is there like a whole separate niche of glasses that have a camera built in that I yeah, never even heard of? Yeah, it's kind of a separate niche. That's it. That's a good question. Um, these ones were more like adventure, like um, sport glasses, and they had a camera right in the middle of it. And so what I was doing is I had a sign that said "Biking across country, ran out of food, anything helps," and I would stop in front of grocery stores across the country. And if I was fortunate to receive some help from somebody, I would say, "Hey, do you have a story about when somebody helped you and you really needed it?" And so people were sharing stories about adversity they faced and just different stories like that. Or, And um, again, I wanted to use the camera glasses because I didn't want them to know in the moment that I was making a documentary because I wanted to capture the real genuine interactions with people. And then afterwards, I'd tell them I was making a documentary and then they would sign a waiver, et cetera. Uh, that's so cool because, you know, one of my questions and, and watching the uh, uh, the intro was, well, if people know they're on camera, they're going to be totally different. But you, you found a way to get around that to see like really authentically how people treat strangers. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the whole goal. I mean, cause I know that I would act differently if somebody was filming me and then asking me all these questions, you know? And so, yeah, that was the idea behind it. So when you struck out on this, like what were you hoping would happen or what were your expectations? Did you have like hypotheses about, you know, maybe different places would be different or people would be different or were you just, you had no idea, you just wanted to see what happened? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have too many expectations, honestly, man. I just wanted to really try something different and, and push myself and challenge myself and I wanted to connect with people. That was for sure. I just wanted to meet like a lot of different people and then um, 
Yeah, and I mean, once I hit the road, it was, you know, just the fact that I was holding that sign, it was kind of attracting people who had faced hard times in their own life. Like, it seemed like those were the people who you were usually the most willing to give was the people who had faced hard times, etc. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of how it went. Didn't have too many expectations. And um, I do also recognize, like, because I had a unique sign, I was attracting more people than than other people. I think... If my sign just said hungry, the unfortunate truth is I wouldn't have received as much help from people. But because I had a unique sign, I was able to get more help than than most, I think. And did you have your bike with you as well so people could see, oh, yeah, this is this guy's doing a bike tour. He's kind of doing something interesting. I want to find out about that. Yeah, exactly, Richard. That's another thing is because when you're on a bike tour, the beautiful thing about it is you have your bags on your bike and your sleeping bags, etc. And when you ride into a town... People are super curious about your story because because you stand out and they're not used to seeing it. So that alone kind of gave me confidence. Of, I knew I was going to have the opportunity con- to connect with a lot of people because there was that curiosity for just from people seeing my bike. And and before we dig into the journey and what you learned, uh, I want to just understand. You know, I've never created a movie. Were you a, a a filmmaker before this? Was this your first one? So this was my second my second feature. Um, and I didn't go to film school or anything. I just, uh, my, my younger brother, Max, um, he taught me how to edit. And I used a very basic editing program. It's kind of funny, the narration for the film, I just like, to film the voiceover, I literally just like sat under a blanket with this microphone right here. <laughs> and it was just like, that was my sound studio, you know? So a lot of it was just learning um, and just uh, just trying to learn some basic editing skills. And uh, and eventually I started putting into film festivals, et cetera. And, yeah, eventually uh, it got it on uh, a couple of streaming platforms. And yeah, like you've won tons, it seems like you've won tons of awards as well. Uh, so it's definitely resonating with judges and audiences. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the journey. And so a lot of people listen to these podcasts, um, they're looking for ideas of where to go, what to do. You've done something kind of different, but you know, I think there's lots of interesting stuff in terms of what your total journey was, where you went. Can you maybe describe the route and uh, a little bit like what an average day was. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I left from Monterey, California on the bike and I headed um, across the Sierra Nevadas. That was within the first week and crossing the Sierras, it was snowing up there and that was great, you know, and um, then I crossed the, they call it the loneliest road in America. It's um, it's a highway going across the Great Basin Desert in Nevada. And that was just so epic. I mean, there was like 18 mountain passes within 400 miles and there was only like four or five towns. So you're going like these really, really long stretches with just nobody out there. And I love just camping out there at nighttime in the desert and hearing the coyotes howling and that was super special. And then I crossed Utah with the sandstone canyons riding through there and crossed the Rockies where you are, you know, and I uh, up the uh, take the switchbacks up the Rockies and then Went through Kansas, which I loved. Met some really great people in Kansas. And then hit a thing called the Katy Trail along the Missouri River in Missouri. And then from that, from once I got to St. Louis, I just kind of weaved in and out of court, like the cornfields and the Midwest and eventually got to New York City. And my original plan was to stop in New York City. But um, I just had this feeling like the experience wasn't completed. And so I did some hitchhiking. Did some hitchhiking from New York to Montana. And then rode through Montana. Um, it was already snowing up there in October and it was got down to like 13 degrees at night a couple nights and was definitely super cold and um, then crossed uh, Idaho, Oregon, 
came back down to California and the whole journey was was seven months. So yeah, really beautiful experience. It was a really great way to see the country. I mean, because when you're on a bike, I mean, you're really interacting with the people and the towns that you're riding through. And uh, I mean, when you're going through the Rockies on a bike, I mean, you really get to know the Rockies because you're, you're using your body to cross the Rockies. And so it's a great way of connecting with nature too. So how do you manage, you know, eating, sleeping, showering with no food, no money? You know, maybe describe how that works, not to advocate people to just rock up and go with nothing, but yeah, uh, how did you make it work? Yeah, yeah. So I always like to recognize just the privileges I had to even start, you know, to be able to do this because a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to be in a priv privileged position to be able to just leave with no food or money. So, um, but yeah, so basically I read a book on dumpster, di dumpster diving before I left. It was by an environmental activist named Rob Greenfield. And he did some dump dumpster diving across the country. And so I knew that that was going to be a backup option if I couldn't get any help with food from people. And I couldn't believe how much food was getting thrown away behind dumpsters. It was, I'm talking like literally dumpsters full of food that was still good. So that was a huge portion of, of the food that I was getting was just from dumpsters. And uh, every couple of days I would stop in a different town while riding and um, I would have my sign out in front of grocery stores and I felt super grateful to be able to receive help from people as far as getting food. Um, the sleeping situation was, I was uh, stealth camping the whole time, which is basically camping in areas like that's more like public areas. Um, I never went on anybody's like private property, but a lot of times I was sleeping in like baseball fields because um, there was the dugouts out there. And so the dugout would give me a place to hide out and give me shelter from the rain. And, and usually there was a um, a hose so like you had a fresh water source so I could like you know cook my my pasta etc or yeah and um that's kind of how it was um the whole time I had some cooking gear etc and did that for like seven months and it was uh the bathing you know bathing was the, was probably one of the most challenging things is because um I mean w when I was in the west part of the country there was a lot of rivers etc so I would just jump in the rivers and it felt great but as time went on it was getting way more challenging to find a place to bathe and uh, that was definitely wearing on me mentally. Yeah, I know when I talk to a lot of people who are van lifers, that's like the hardest thing is, yeah, where do you shower? You end up going to truck stops all the time where if you van, you can drive there. But on your bike, that that's a pain. When you were talking about dumpster diving, I thought back, you know, uh, earlier in my life, I worked at McDonald's and I worked at supermarkets and I hadn't ever really kind of cottoned on to just how much food we threw out. And I remember at McDonald's, you know, it would be, you know, thousands of hamburgers, hot, you know, whatever the heck, cheap McChickens every day. And at the supermarket, you just throw out box after box of lettuce or apples. And I remember even saying once to the manager, like, why can't we just give this to like one of the shelters? They said, oh no, there's too much legal liability. And I always exactly. thought it was, it was crazy. And you look at it, you're like, well, okay, yeah, some of these, you know, if it's tomatoes, yeah, some of these tomatoes are bad, but like, you know, Maybe only one out of five of them are bad. Why are we? Th but it's just it's easier. Listen, they were after their date. Exactly. We'll just throw it all out, and uh, it's kind of sad that here it is, twenty five years later, and the problem still exists. You would have thought that somehow they would have found a way to, you know, get this food to people in need. Yeah, you, you totally nailed it, Richard. That's so true. I mean, and I think people are afraid of getting sued, especially in the United States. But it should be illegal to throw away all this good food. I mean, um, especially in, with grocery stores, like like a loaf of bread. That stuff is so processed, they'll stay good for like six weeks, you know? And it's set, there's a sell-by date, but the food is it's always good for well beyond the sell-by date. I mean, I was 
every morning, I mean, I would load up on bagels and strawberries and apples and bananas. I mean, there was there were steaks that were thrown away that were still good. Ice cream, yogurt. I mean, couldn't believe it. And um, yeah, it's uh, it just feels disrespectful to people who are hungry and in need. The idea that we're throwing this food away, and then if you do take it out of the dumpsters, sometimes people want to call the police. Where it's like, but I'm grabbing food that you threw away. It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's sad that as a society, you know, 25 years later, we haven't solved that. Um, I want to learn a little bit about what you found out about people, because, you know, one thing that's come through and, you know, for my own trips and I think every guest we've had on the podcast, you know, not everyone, but so many of them mentioned just how kind the world is. And, um, but very few of them are actually, you know, riding through the U.S. A lot of them are, you know, going through all these exotic countries. And so you spent seven months learning about people all across the country. And, yeah. You know, how would you describe what you learned? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the first thing that stands out is the people that face the most adversity in their lives. They're the ones that usually have the most to give. And they seem to be like the most present and like within conversations when I would talk to them, et cetera. Um, and you could just feel the, the, the care and the love that they had. Um, and uh, that stands out to me. And, and I think that, you know, it was really beautiful having this special opportunity to talk to people because you realize that, okay, this person may have been born in Colombia, for example, who I spoke to, who, 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 was, who helped me, right? And, but then they would start sharing stories and, I, and they, um, I would realize, oh, we have the same shared human experience, right? Even though they were born in a different country and born, grew up speaking a different language, we can still connect on that human experience level. Right. And so that's that's really beautiful is to to realize that this is something my uncle always says, but there's there's much more that brings us together than what separates us. And so that was really beautiful. And something else I learned about was the idea of just of giving to somebody, because, for example, there was an unhoused man who was uh, living on the streets and he um, he offered to give me like five dollars. Right. And at first I declined because he said that he was you know living on the streets. And then he told me, he said, by you denying me this opportunity to give you money, he said, you're denying me the opportunity to do good. And he said, I gain a lot out of giving giving you this, so please don't deny me this opportunity. So from then on, I, re- I, start, I started accepting things from everybody no matter what, because again, I realized that sometimes we gain more by giving something to somebody compared to receiving something. So that, that was a huge lesson that I learned. You know, that's so powerful and something that... Um... I don't know if it's the Canadian makeup or just my makeup, but, you know, for a long time, it was really hard to accept help or accept anything. And, you know, I would, you know, rather, you know, rather than ask people to move, I'd slither under the table and you never want to inconvenience every anybody. And then I realized, well, actually people want to help. And if you don't let them help, you know, it's really tough. I'd never thought of it related to, you know, someone who, you know, didn't have a home, but they wanted, you know, to help you out and how it was in a sense, you know, almost insulting not to let them do that, to, you know, almost treat them, treat them differently. Um, when you were talking before that, I kind of felt like a big aspect of this was empathy. You know, people who have dealt with hard circumstances understand that. And, uh, I know with my kids, I, I like to take them traveling to see how different cultures and people live. And part of that is when you learn and meet other people, you understand them and you don't have all these, these different thoughts. A- and, what I'm interested is, is there, you know, in doing all this, do you think there's a way to increase empathy for people who haven't had hard times? How do you get the people who, 
would walk by you or, you know, maybe don't understand what you're dealing with. How do you get, how do you, how can you raise empathy for people that you don't have a shared experience with? That's a really, that's a really good point. And my, my personal opinion is I think, I think that we all need to go through challenging times in our life. And that's how true empathy is created, right? Because we're all going to experience at some point, we're all going to experience grief. We're all going to experience heartbreak. And I think those, there's, there's so many beautiful lessons that can come out of that. And then the empathy, because I think by just learning about it or talking to someone that may influence you a little bit, but by truly experiencing it yourself, that's, that's how it really happens. Hey everyone, this is Richard and I just want to take 30 seconds to let you know that if you are enjoying these stories and are interested in embarking on your own adventure, then head over to 10adventures.com. At 10 Adventures, our specialty is booking private and custom active holidays. Jump straight from dreaming to doing without any of the hassle of travel planning in between. Join thousands of other travelers who have already booked with 10 Adventures to destinations in over 85 countries and experience more of what our planet has to offer while making memories that'll last a lifetime. Now back to the podcast. You talked a little bit about wanting to understand the divisions in the country. Yeah. And so is that something you were able to understand in more detail through your discussions and your travels? Absolutely. And the first thing that stands out is just because I was talking to people face to face. I mean, it seems like we're not doing that anymore. Right. I mean, I used to be a bartender for like a couple, for like almost 10 years. And I remember when I first started, people would sit at the bar and they'd have political disagreements, but they were talking face to face. So it was respectful. Right. And they understood where the other person was coming from. But I think that now the fact that we're communicating through just like social media and online, I feel like people aren't respectful that way. And we're and we're kind of sticking within our own bubbles. But this experience taught me that, I mean, you know, I can have a lot of similar things in common with this person. We may not agree politically, but we can still connect on so many other levels. And again, if we talk about our political disagreements in person, I think that's the way that we can like overcome some of this division in our country. You know, I think that's that's such a good point. And it's easy to be flippant or to misunderstand something, you know, on a text message or an email or a message yeah, board or yeah, whatever. Totally. Um, but when you're in front of people, you have to kind of understand what they're saying. You can't just kind of ignore a, ignore a bunch of stuff. And so often you take on board and, you know, both sides have some good ideas and some bad ideas. Um, depending where you sit, some sides yeah. have more good ideas and more bad ideas. Um but it's really interesting. I have the same thing. I have, I have one friend and when we're in person, we have really interesting discussions, but we have a little text message chain and it's just, you know, one-off talking points kind of out of the blue and it's, exactly. it's really hard to engage and have a discussion. Yep. Um, so in our increasingly connected world where we're less and less in person, uh, how do you apply that to, you know, life going forward? I think going to places, you know, going to different places in different cultures and uh, talking to people who you normally wouldn't talk to, that's the best way to really understand the, the world and each other and humanity, right? I think try to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, if, if you're fortunate and privileged enough to be able to travel, I say go to places where they're different, right? And you can do that. The United States is so huge and, and like they're so beautiful and there's so many different types of people here. You don't have to go across the world. I think you can just go to a different state and talk to people. I think that's the most ideal way. I'm interested as you're doing this, did you learn anything about yourself? You know, kind of this, the focus was on other people. Yeah. But did you change? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the thing that stands out the most is I just realized how fortunate I am to, to have had so many opportunities. And just like, I was just born into that. Like, 
for example, there was a person I met in East St. Louis, right? Which, um, had, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities there. And this person in East St. Louis was just expressing how dire the situation was for him. I mean, he was, you know, unhoused, living under a bridge. He'd been, you know, um, stabbed, you know, and like, he just had no hope. He was 24 years old and he was already talking like his life was over. His name was Harold. And I remember, you know, talking to Harold really put things in perspective for me because I realized when I was 24, I was like backpacking around Europe and I had all these opportunities and I just got lucky. I was just, you know, like he just, he was born into a place where there's not a lot of opportunities. And so I think it's good um, going forward to truly understand how fortunate I've been throughout my life and try to share my story. And then also just try to understand that, you know, again, people don't have the same opportunities as others. And it's really hard to kind of come out of that at times, you know? Uh, that's, that's such a powerful such a powerful experience. And, and so taking away this experience, like what's your biggest takeaway? You know, how, how can, how can this improve, you know, discourse in the United States, how people relate to each other, you know, make, make the country a better place? Yeah. You know, I think my biggest takeaway is, um, every day, like we have this super special opportunity to like show up for someone. Right. And because there was times, especially towards the end of the seven months I was on the road where I just really needed to be seen and acknowledged by a person. It wasn't even about food or money, but it was about the, the lifestyle I was living was so like it was really starting to wear on me. Right. And so um, I was kind of closing in in some ways. Right. And there was an unhoused person named Gary. Right. He was living on the streets and Gary picked up the energy I was putting out there and he stopped. He didn't. I wasn't even holding my sign. Gary came up to me, asked if I was OK. Right. He ran across the street, bought me a, a bag of groceries with his food stamps and I didn't need the food. But what I did need was someone to see me and acknowledge me. And, and I'm just telling that story because Gary taught me that every day we can show up for someone and it may not seem like much to us, but for the person you're showing up to, it could literally change their lives. And Gary changed my life that day. And so I think that's so, so beautiful. And it's something I've been thinking about is I've been sharing this with other people is so many things are feel overwhelming in the world right now, right? And out of our control. But the thing that we can control is how we treat each other. And that's what's really beautiful. I mean, um, we and we can do that now. We can start right now. Wow, what a what a powerful uh, message and statement. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your film. Um, I mentioned earlier, there's been an incredible reception. Can you maybe just describe some of the reception at the different film festivals? Yeah, so it's, it's really beautiful, man, because like, um, this film features a bunch of different people. And so I feel like anytime that the, the film is recognized at a film festival, it's it's like they're, the people who reached out to me and, and, and helped me, they're being celebrated through these film festival awards. So yeah, it's been, I mean, probably the biggest honor so far has been, it got uh, selected for the, um, it was called the Peace Film Festival. It was um, the World Peace Film Festival. And that's like, dude, what an honor, you know? And um, some of the other things, best humanitarian film at the San Francisco Film Festival, um, best inspirational film at the New York International Film Awards. Uh, I think it was like best uh, feature documentary at the Chicago International Indie Film Awards. And, and again, just like any time it receives any kind of accolade, I just think, man, like this story was created by the people who I met, you know, and so they're a part of all these awards, which is super special. And so you mentioned it's on a couple streaming platforms. Uh, can you maybe share where people in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia could uh, could watch it? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, so it's it's streaming on Apple TV, um, Amazon Prime, and Google Play. 
Excellent. Uh, yeah, there's there's opportunities uh, if you've got a streaming platform to uh, to watch this. Uh, what an inspirational story! And you know, as you you talked, Daniel, there were so many things where I thought of my own experiences, and you know, I never put it all together the way you have. And I think it's a really important film to to talk about community, to talk about us as a society and to share your experience while going on a pretty epic adventure riding across the U.S. So uh, I want to say thanks for coming on and sharing sharing all this with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Rich. I really appreciate you giving the platform to speak about it. And if people want to follow along, learn more about the film, learn more about you, is there a way, you know, website, uh, social media that they can follow? Definitely. There's two things. Thank you for asking. Um, so the first one would be my website. And um, this is where you can you can watch the film on my website as well. It will take you to the link where all the other platforms are, but also you can read more about the film, right? And so it's weareallinthistogethermovie.com, right? And then also social media-wise, um, I'm going to be sh- um, showing this film, um, having live screenings of this film, and we're going to be raising uh, money for different homeless shelters across the country. So if you'd like to be um, involved in that or even come to one of the showings, my Instagram page is the underscore travel in there's no g in it right travel in <laughs> underscore dude yeah <laughs> what what an appropriate uh, <laughs> uh uh instagram handle i uh, actually had one more question so you've done this incredible film that audiences and critics are loving are you already thinking about the next film or the next thing you want to tackle yeah definitely i'm actually currently putting it together it should be out in april um so my next film is called the child within and this is about finding the, finding the thing that makes you feel like a child again, right? And kind of um, capturing that wonder again. And for me, it's riding my bike. So for this film, I rode my bike across Europe and uh, yeah, tried to try to recapture that wonder that I used to feel as a child. Uh, you know, I can't wait for that because actually one thing I find, so I'm in my mid forties and so many of my friends, they've lost this sense of like joy for life. And you just kind of see it and all of a sudden discussions are about TVs or, you know, consumer durables and there's no excitement or passion. And I only have a couple of friends left that kind of still are amazed by the world and excited by the world. And I don't know what happens because I still have this sense of wonder. Um, so I'm super interested uh, to watch that one now. So that'd be Thank a back you. once that one's released. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to sharing it. Definitely. Uh, excellent. So I'll put links to those because those were some long uh, URLs and yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, social handles. I'll put those in the show notes and a link to um, to the movie and urge everyone to go out and give this a watch. It's a really important movie about how we can all you know come together as uh, as a society. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Uh, thanks, Daniel. And uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the 10 adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Start planning your own adventure by visiting us at 10 adventures.com and listen to other episodes of the 10 adventures podcast on Amazon music, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you find your podcasts.